hey, Being at Work listeners, welcome back to another episode. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this conversation today. Today's guest, her full name means, get this, bright light who has a brave mouth. Is that not the greatest thing ever? And in addition to having a really cool name, she also has this theory that I'm so grateful to bring to our listenership today because it's a theory that helps to answer these questions. How do we give permission for people to be more of who they are, have more of what they want, and do work that makes them thrive? Those are the questions. And if you're like me, her theory will blow your mind a little bit. I've not stopped thinking about it since she first shared it with me several weeks ago. Ileana Oris Valiente is the Managing Director, Canada Innovation, and ESG Lead for Accenture. But what you really need to know about Ileana is how she's empowering others to design their life. She says, you're an artist, so build a life you're really excited to be a part of. And the theory that she'll share with us today helps people to discover more of who they are and why they do what they do. So listen in as we talk about leaning into more, using your strengths, and recognizing you're a human being not a human doing. Ileana, or shall I say bright light, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Having a name like that really raises the level of expectation. Oof, I don't know about that. I mean, in my defense, I only recently found out the meanings of all of these things. The last name bit I discovered in the spring of 2023. And the meaning of my first name I discovered this August while in Greece. And every time I'd introduce myself to a Greek person, they would say, oh, are you Greek? No. What? But you have a Greek name. And so finally, I went back to where I was staying at one of the kindred homes. And I went into trusty Google to figure out what does my name mean? And it means bright and ray of sunshine, which was mind boggling. But let me tell you another story about my Halloween costume last year. My Halloween costume, last minute, came together. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just looked at my closet and assembled some stuff. And I went as a ray of sunshine. I love that about you. Well, and of course, that's what your name means. Have you seen yourself lately? You are a ray of sunshine and have so much goodness. So I have appropriately in the intro set up this theory that you have, but give us some context before we dive into that. Give us a little bit of the journey that led you to the great work that you're doing today. I've had a really random life and a really random career, if you will, but I wouldn't have it any other way because ultimately I think that's where the best stories are made when people are following the river that is life. So my friends joke that I've been a global citizen quite literally since I was born. I'm part Russian, part Cuban, so I've grown up in Siberia, but I've also spent a portion of my life growing up and living in Cuba. It does not get more diverse than that experience. And now proud Canadian citizen and global traveler and really love the fact that my career and my life has allowed me to travel extensively for personal and for professional reasons. And so when I began my career, I originally wanted to work in international development and work for the United Nations. That was the goal. And I realized partway through my studies that I wasn't going to be able to make the kind of systemic impact in the world 
that I really wanted to. And that was the reason why I went into that field of study. So I ended up making a hard pivot and ended up in a finance and accounting type of specialization and pursued my chartered accountancy designation. So it's a pretty big pivot. But the reason I did that was A, I had missed math. And B, I figured if I could only understand the numbers and the story that the numbers tell about organizations and what keeps senior executives up at night, large organizations have tremendous amounts of influence and power in shaping the systems that we all live in today. And so I'm really glad I pursued that CPA path and started my career working in tax. I've done cross-border tax. I've worked in audit, which really gets into the nitty-gritty of understanding the financials of a business, shifted into corporate finance, did a lot of work with tech companies, which I loved. They were my favorite, and fell into the rabbit hole of blockchain and crypto and tech, thinking, oh, borderless money. And given my background and my travels, it just made a lot of intuitive sense. And fast forward, I accidentally ended up building the world's first ever blockchain consulting business at any of the large organizations in the world on the topic. And I would have senior execs calling me from various organizations across industries saying, hey, can you fly in to meet with me and my executive team and help us figure out what this tech means for the future of our business? And so one thing led to another. And it was just such a non-traditional path. And each time I made one of these pivots, the people I worked with just looked at me like I was an alien who had sprouted five heads. And they're like, who are you? And why are you pursuing these random rabbit holes and these random paths? I don't understand. Where's the connective tissue? Where's the connective thread amidst all of this? And so my professional journey brought me to Accenture where I came on board initially as a managing director and the global blockchain innovation lead. Sometimes I was in two countries in a week meeting with senior clients and board members, and I loved the variety that I was getting and just the constant on the go-ness. And so then I got tapped on the shoulder a short while after because our North America CEO, Julie Sweet, who is now our global CEO, wanted to launch a series of innovation hubs in North America, and one was going to be in Canada. So long story short, I ended up in that role, which I've had a chance to really start from a blank sheet of paper and build my dream role and build my dream teams completely from the ground up. And it has been such a rewarding experience. And it's made me realize that whereas in my career up until this point, I was always the odd one out and people looked at me funny. Now I had a chance to start from scratch, really lean into my strengths. And it's been such a fascinating journey. And I'm so, so glad. So that's a little bit about the professional journey that's brought me to date. And there's a little bit of a ways to go in the story to get to the creation of the theory. But the long and short of it was I had spent so many years of my career achieving, achieving, driving, driving, pushing boundaries. And then I hit a wall of burnout. As happens, pandemic didn't really help. But reflecting on it, one of the biggest contributors to that burnout in the pandemic was the fact that we couldn't go anywhere, we couldn't fly anywhere. And my number one most recurring dream throughout the pandemic 
was inability to get on a plane. And so I would dream I was in a taxi and there was an accident on the highway. Couldn't make it to the airport. I'd get to the airport. I didn't have my passport. I got denied boarding. The plane takes off. The plane experiencing some issue. The plane circles back and the plane lands. That is what I dreamt about pretty much every day during the pandemic. Because looking back on it, I thrive in an environment where there is novelty, where there is variety. And the last thing that is the complete opposite of novelty and variety is being stuck in the same four walls, regardless of how nice those four walls might be. And so when the burnout occurred, I picked up and I went to go visit a friend who was living in Paris because she had been trying to get me to come out there for a while. She was doing her MBA. And with the pandemic, it didn't happen. And when I got on that plane and I flew to Paris, that was the beginning of the recovery journey. And slowly but surely, my brain started to come back online. And the moment that I knew I had burnt out, I didn't know what burnout was. I didn't have the language to describe it. All I know was I got off of a phone call with somebody, 30-minute call, and I hung up the phone and I realized, I don't know who I just talked to. And I don't know what I talked about. And I don't know if the words that came out of my mouth made any sense whatsoever. I called a very dear friend of mine who confirmed, she's like, Ileana, the words coming out of your mouth right now sound like scrambled eggs. Yeah, it don't make sense. And so it was just complete and total brain shutdown followed by the reset, which the travel really helped get me come back online and reconnecting with people and meeting other like-minded people on the road. And having the flexibility and the support from Accenture has been such a godsend in this process because they really showed that they take mental health seriously and we're humans. We have ups, we have downs, we're not machines. There's an expression I like to use that says we're human beings, not human doings. And AI is wonderful. I actually have an AI-powered digital human twin that's being built of me as we speak. Her name is Lila. And it just really puts into perspective the distinction between your humanness, the AI extensions of us. And the great thing about being human is it's exciting and it's a never-ending adventure. The downside sometimes is we have physical limits that we hit. And if we're not in the right environments where we're thriving, then it doesn't make for as smooth a life ride, if you will. And you clearly know yourself well. I hear that through all of this, the roles that you got into, the designer in you in creating the roles that you were in, the recognition that like, okay, this does not feel good right now. There's a self-awareness thread through the entire story. And I think self-awareness is hugely important because no one can read your mind and you need to know yourself. You need to know what your needs are what motivates you so that you can build systems in your life that set you up for success. And if you don't do that groundwork, no one else can do that groundwork for you. And it is such a personal journey, isn't it? It is your system. We can get ideas and inspiration around us, but ultimately, like we've got to do the work to figure out what is my formula for good? What is my system for success? In your theory that you're developing and talking about is really helpful in that self-exploration journey. And so the theory is called the potted plant theory. Yes, potted plants, the things that a lot of you were probably growing during the pandemic. 
And it's really this idea that humans exist on a spectrum and have their own human plant archetype. So think of a forest. In the natural world, you have a whole slew of plant species that are living next to each other and they're coexisting happily. The large trees, the small shrubs, the tiny air plants, and they're living in harmony. If you go to a plant shop today and you pick up a new plant, guess what you'll see in each plant? A little triangular slip that has the care and maintenance instructions. How much sunshine they need, how much water they need, fertilizer, any other tweaks. And we don't judge plants for having their own resource requirements. And the theory suggests that humans are actually much closer to plants and the natural world than we sometimes admit. And we too have our own care instructions. We too have our own environments in which we thrive. And so the potted plant theory and the spectrum suggests that humans can be one of four archetypes. One archetype is the sequoia. So imagine a sequoia tree. They're tall, they're beautiful, majestic trees with extensive root systems. But if you wanted to transplant a sequoia tree, even if your life depended on it, you couldn't. They're too big. They defy movement. They need that sturdy, stable environment for them to thrive. The second archetype is a red maple tree. You can move a red maple tree once, twice, maybe three times in its life if you have the help of an arborist, so a tree specialist, and if all the conditions are met and that tree can adjust. The third archetype is potted plant. A potted plant, by definition, has its roots attached to it. And whether you move it room to room or city to city or country to country, it doesn't really skip a beat. And the final archetype is the air plant. If you've walked into a plant shop, you've seen them. They're hanging from the ceiling in a little glass jar. They tend to be smaller. They don't have extensive roots. They don't need a whole lot of water. They have this really cool mechanism to extract moisture from the air around them. And that's really what they need. And so humans and how you would figure out your placement on the spectrum there's almost a two-by-two two matrix that you can imagine. One axis is your need for certainty and stability versus your need for novelty. So if you picture the sequoia as representative of the need for stability and certainty, and the air plant correlates the need for novelty and adventure. The other axis is your resource requirements. So how many resources do you need in order to feel secure, established, and to thrive? low amount of resources or high amount of resources. If I go back to the sequoia example, sequoias need a lot of resources, space, water, soil, fertilizer, sunshine. Meanwhile, the air plants have a very low resource requirement. You give an air plant too much water, you know that story does not end well. And so humans need to figure out where their placement is what their core archetype really requires, and to then use that personal insight to better structure their own lives, to improve their personal relationships, to improve their professional relationships, because this does correlate to 
work environments that can set you up to be successful. And it's starting to really resonate as I've talked to people about this. Yeah. And particularly the analogy of the little card that's in the plant that says their resource requirements that we too have our own care instructions. It sounds like the two things then that it's really challenging people to think about are resource requirements and need for novelty. Those are the two. Need for the novelty versus need for certainty. Why those two axes? Let me use the example of travel. There is a cohort of people that identify with the label digital nomad lifestyle. And when you dig into it, it's just a lifestyle, but it involves a lot of travel, being in multiple locations. And there's almost a thick dividing line between the people who look at that lifestyle and say, I do not understand that at all. Why would you ever want to spend any meaningful time outside of your home base, but your routine and your local coffee shop and your friends and your family? Like, what do you mean? Isn't that crazy? But there's another side of the population on the other side of that line that looks at folks that love their routine and love their stability and scratches their heads and says, but I don't understand. How could someone work in a home office day in, day out for years on end following the same routine for their lifestyle? And those two cohorts have a hard time understanding each other, but it's only recently as a result of the pandemic that suddenly has allowed more people to lean into this traveling global citizen type lifestyle. And so my hypothesis is that potted plants and air plants and people who have needed this level of novelty have always existed. It's just that we're living in a world today that has been built for sequoias, primarily by sequoias. And so this distinction of need for novelty versus certainty doesn't apply just in the context of travel, though. Even people who are grounded and living in one city or one country for personal reasons, they have family ties, etc., you may find someone who thrives in consistent routines and do not ask them to shift their morning routine. And you have others that are like, oh, there's a new class that just opened up next door that does saunas and cold plunges. Let me go check that out one morning. So even within one geographic distinction, there are those that need much more stimulation. I remember early on in my career being out at lunch with a senior mentor of mine, a boss at the time, and he looked at me partway through lunch and he puts down his fork and knife and he tilts his head and he says, so Ileana, when are you leaving us? I was like, huh? What? Me? Am I getting fired? He's like, no, I can't fire you. You're my top performer. But he says, I can't help but think that you are meant for bigger and better things. You're not a traditional auditor. You're not a traditional chartered accountant. You have other skills. You have all these hobbies and excitement and things that you're constantly craving and chasing. And it was through feedback from mentors like that that helped me reflect and realize, okay, no, I actually don't deal well with the routine. I'm an anti-routine type person. And this is super powerful when you start to consider workplace roles. And I know a lot of your listeners are professionals. In my job today, I context switch for a living where I might be presenting to a board of directors of a financial institution on a Monday. 
But then I'm in discussions with a head of state of a country that's trying to figure out their energy transition and a shift towards electric vehicles. And then I might be troubleshooting team dynamics. And then I might be doing a project related to the future of AI and personalization with digital humans and how that applies in a retail or customer service context. For some people, that would make their heads explode. For me, I need that level of novelty. That's how you get the best out of me. I like to connect ideas and translate between these worlds. But if you have people on your team that thrive in a certain stable environment, you design different roles for them. You put them into more of an operations role where their need for order is actually fantastic for the business. And in any role, there's always aspects of it that appeal to certain people and don't appeal to others. And so to the extent that we can break the jobs to be done and help allocate them to people in a way that speaks to their natural strengths and their tendencies, you're going to get so much more out of your teams and they're going to be so much happier in the process. It's a win-win. Well, and there are so many parallels to other assessment tools. The thing I so appreciate about this theory is the plant archetypes, they're living, but their resource requirements, their need for change and variety, that's what differentiates them. And it's so connected to how we grow and how we flourish and how we are at our best. So there's something really connective in this for me. I think that's why I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. Because whenever you went through the four, I'm like, am I a potted plant or am I an air plant? Because I know my need for novelty is really high. Help me understand more about resource requirements. How do you determine your resource requirements? One easy item is to think about household materials and possessions. And if you had to pick up and move tomorrow, or if you had to give up your favorite mug or your favorite sweater, could you pack that down into a couple of suitcases without a tremendous sense of loss? For some people, the answer is absolutely no way. You look at Mary Kondo and her work on promoting minimalism, and there's a cohort of people that have heard her ways and have said, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I've needed in my entire life. Fantastic. And there are others who have an aversion to her philosophy of, no, no, they need the space, they need the backyard, they need the rootedness of material possessions. Once again, if you think through the digital nomad global citizen lifestyle, for me, I've lived out of a carry-on suitcase for three months in three different countries in completely different environments. And it makes you realize that you don't need a whole lot as a human, where all the things I own, take it or leave it, doesn't really matter. I don't have a particular attachment to things or to places. I know many people who can't imagine being on the road for three weeks at a time without coming back to their bed, their couch. And I've joked for years that I'm at home wherever I'm staying for more than two nights. Home is where I am. And that's a very different way of operating and being oriented than someone who is deeply grounded. The archetype that you most identify with is the air plant. I'm actually a potted plant. So the air plants, I would say, usually correlates to what people imagine as the artsy, creative, incredibly whimsical archetype. It's the sort of person that you might meet on your travels and they will describe themselves 
by saying, oh, I'm still on the road after five years, they might be doing van life. And they may love and fully identify 100% with the digital nomad label. I'm not quite in that camp. Although I will say there's often this misconception that airplanes have to be the 22-year-old sitting on a beach in Bali in a hammock as a freelance graphic designer earning $15,000 a year. And that's not at all the case. I have met airplanes and through my research who are doctors and they just happen to have shifted into doing virtual work so that it enables them to travel and to get that sense of novelty. So for potted plants, we do need a little bit more in terms of resources, more soil. You have the pot that you live in. Some people have spirit animals. I have a spirit plant. I'm a hibiscus because hibiscus, interestingly, you can grow it in a pot, but you can take it out of the pot and you can plant it into the ground and it will grow deeper roots. But then it is perfectly okay if you dig it back up and you move it into a pot again, but you have to move it into a bigger pot. Gardeners call this up potting because it's grown and you can have it indoors or outdoors, cooler climates, warmer climates. When I was in Greece, the plants out there were giant. They were like 10 feet tall, beautiful trees, or they can be in a shrub. It's purely up to the desire of that hibiscus and the environment that it's in. And it doesn't skip a beat when you do the transplantation process. So for me, my ideal lifestyle is to essentially live in two or three countries around the world simultaneously and have multiple home bases from which I go off and I explore the world. So in those home bases, I still have a bit of a sense of familiarity or routine. You know, you have your coffee shop, you have your cold plunge, you have your sauna, you have a couple of gym options. You have a community and community is super important because some people have said, oh, does this theory correlate to introverts or extroverts? Like, no, you could be anywhere on that introversion spectrum and still choose to live this lifestyle because it's more suited to who you fundamentally are in your requirements. Well, and it's freeing as well. One of the things throughout my life, I've tried to be more content, Andrea. Just be grateful for what you have. But I love new. I love experience that's different and fresh. And yeah, it's because my need for novelty is so high. And you were talking about attachment to things as being part of that. And I wonder, too, if even attachment to people and relationships. I've done a life review over the last few months, and one of the things that's come out for me through that is just how I am always collecting new friends. I love meeting new people. I even had somebody say to me the other day, like, I was encouraging them to travel alone because they were really wanting to travel. And I love traveling alone because every time I do, I make new friends. And so is that part of the attachment also? It is. And I have been fortunate to have personal relationships and friendships that span decades and they span countries. And the ability for me to go to Dubai and have not just one friend or two friends, but to have an entire community that I can plug into tomorrow and have a vibrant social life that I could have breakfast plans, lunch plans and dinner plans six days a week, if that's really what I wanted. And the same thing in Miami and the same thing in New York or in Barbados or any number of locations, it doesn't bother me if I don't see people for three months at a time or six months at a time. 
Because when you click with people on a truly fundamental level, you don't skip a beat when you come back and you reunite and you have more stories. And there are people who live in North America within an hour's drive of each other or in the same cities. And with our calendar culture, we don't see them for three months at a time anyways. So for me, it's the quality of relationship and the quality of interaction as opposed to the quantum that I am seeing people. And so this theory of the plant archetype is not contradictory. It's actually complementary to a lot of the other self-assessment tools that are out there, whether it be attachment theories, whether it's the introversion, extroversion scale, and the rest of it. I so get that. It's another tool to explore more of who you are and when you are at your best. And I think that's the key. So I have to ask about this digital AI human that you're creating right now. Tell us about her. So first off, she has a name. Her name is Lila. She can't have my name because there's only one Eliana. It's part of our ethics boundaries, if you will. But it's this idea that if you had a humanoid extension of you, so she looks like me, she's been designed by, imagine like cartoon designers, similar vibes with images of me. I've had to take 3D body scans, really awkward photos close up of my teeth because apparently your teeth actually hold up the rest of your facial structure. I've learned this through the process. There's a human who was designing my eyebrows and the angle of my eyebrows. So when I lift my eyebrows, she is able to mimic that. She's been trained on my voice. So I have recorded upwards of six hours of my voice in a podcast studio solo. I've read obituaries for two hours because I needed her to learn my sad voice. And I read a children's book that made me tear up. I've had to read exciting material so she could learn my cheerful voice and my neutral voice and everything in between. And she's being fed with the knowledge from various keynotes I've delivered, publications that I've written, as well as training her up on thought leadership and research reports that we as Accenture have published. So the idea is that in the future, I'll be able to send Lila on my behalf to certain meetings that I don't need to be at. Because whereas I may have brain fog one day and I don't recall off the top of my head what's that project we did with a client in the travel space three years ago, Lila doesn't forget. And if you feed her a bunch of these case studies, she becomes an extension of you. And what's more personal as a personal assistant that's an extension of you? Nothing. So I think it's a really cool way for us to embrace AI and really look at AI as a tool to make life better for the humans. It's not replacing the humans, which is often the fear that people have. And for me, I work in innovation. I'm an innovation executive. That is my role. That is my wiring. I want to dive in with both feet because I truly believe that I will learn more through doing and experimenting than I could ever by sitting back on my couch and theorizing about it. Well, she's multiplying you is what she's doing. Exactly. And then she gives me time back. That's the hope. Fast forward six months or a year. And then I can use that time to reinvest in activities that really make me as a human thrive. More time for yoga, more time for Pilates, more time to see friends, more time to just sit and stare at a wall and breathe and meditate and be, just be. Well, so here's a vision that I want to cast. I would love to host Lila on Being at Work. She could be the first digital 
AI human that we have. How cool would that be? So if she's up for it, which I think she is because she loves new experiences and new things. Well, it's crazy because we tune her personality. So there's emotional tuning. She's connected to effectively imagine a chat GPT type backend with parameters in addition to all the other information. But you see her on a screen and she has emotions. And I don't know if I'll ever get used to this, but we're learning. It's all an experiment and it's really pushing the boundaries of our physical world, the digital world and everything in between. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. It'll be so interesting to see how it all evolves, won't it? I look forward to meeting Lila at some point. You can collect a humanoid in addition to your other humans that you like. Exactly. And maybe I'll have a humanoid at some point and then we can get them together. See what they can create. Ileana, thank you so much. What a bright light you are with such a brave mouth. I love that I've learned that. In this potted plant theory, you are on to something. No doubt our listeners are going to want to learn more about that and learn more about you. So where can we find you? They can find me on LinkedIn. That's where I tend to post a lot about emerging tech and trends or on Instagram where I'm sharing more of the travel adventures and a little bit more about the potted plant theory. I am in the process of developing a questionnaire that people can use to figure out where they fall on the spectrum and that can also be used by business leaders to think through their employee base and what does that mean for the future of benefits packages and role setups. So feel free to reach out to me and there's more information on the potted plant theory that you can find through my website. So ilianaov.com, you'll find the link there. So follow, subscribe to the newsletter to get the survey as soon as it's ready. Awesome. Thank you, Ileana. So grateful for you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.